church family, this evening we continue with our Bible study series on the evils of feminism, the evils of feminism. In our previous studies we considered the history of the feminist movement and really from the very early beginning how it was rotten to the, to the core really. In today's uh, study we're looking at how destructive the feministic movement has been on the deliberate and systematic prevention and stopping and ultimately killing of the most innocent life. As previously learned that both abortion and birth control are the fruits, the, the corrupt fruits, from the same rotten tree of feminism. And for years, I, myself, was, were, was so deceived into this feministic thinking. I, I had very much a feministic mindset for many, many years, even as a Christian. And so I do not come as one here this evening who is innocent. I, I come as one who is, is, is guilty many times over. And so it is, again, it's not my intention to lay on sins upon any this evening here, nor any who will come to listen to this sermon this evening. It is my intention, however, despite my failings, uh, to shed light on the topic which I believe many well-meaning Christians have been deceived about, who, who truly desire to live the Lord, who truly love the Lord. Brethren, this evening I bring to you no new doctrine. I bring an old doctrine, which for 1900 years the majority of Christian believers, by and large, in the Church of Jesus Christ believed that not only abortion was a heinous, monstrous sin, but also birth control, the prevention of life, contraception. There was unity in the Church of Jesus Christ in this respect. For 1900 years, when sexual intimacy became uh, an object in itself, as it were, it goes against the plan, doesn't it, for life. Uh, taking uh, the pleasure and not the responsibility is not biblical, is it? Nowadays, one can hardly really find a Christian with this conviction in our feministic culture that we live in. Why is this? Well, I would advocate because feministic ideology has crept into the Church of Jesus Christ and has convinced many, many believers of cultural pragmatism. Cultural pragmatism. Well, these things are just not pragmatic in our culture. Uh, and it's, it's a type of secular rationalism, we ought to be pragmatic about these things. Instead of being really faithful to the detail of Scripture, which we see right from the beginning, right through the New Testament. And so, what's the first lie in this respect? What's the first lie? The first lie is this, that children are liabilities and that they are burdens. And they must be prevented or planned to stop in some way. And this, dear friends, is so indifferent 
to Holy Scripture, the Word of God, which uh, is overwhelmingly positive about, uh, about children. Genesis 1.22 says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. God has never, never repealed the blessing of bringing souls into this world. Be fruitful and multiply. It was the first blessing that which he blessed um, Adam and Eve to be fruitful. This procreation mandate, as it were, and he has never repealed it. Psalm 127, 3 and 4 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward, as we thought about last time. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. John 16, 21 says, A woman, when she is in, in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. Joy, fruitfulness, blessings, and I can just carry on and on and on and on about how the Lord sees this, these, this the fruitfulness and children as, as blessing and, and does not even remotely discourage uh, the prevention of children coming into the world. Contrary to feministic thinking, children are not a liability. The Bible overwhelmingly sees them in a positive light. And thankfully, most Christians are against abortion still, but sadly, most Christians have been deceived into thinking that contraception and birth control is acceptable as a Christian. And so this evening, it is my absolute intention, and I make no apology for it, to challenge this new doctrine, it's a new one, of birth control acceptance or cultural pragmatism. Um, really over faithfulness to the scriptures. The, the compromise in this area has led to the compromise of Christians in many other areas. For instance, what are God's purposes for marriage? Uh, in, in particular, Christian marriage. Uh, does he desire godly seed or not, as we read in Malachi? Is God really sovereign in childbirth over the womb? Uh, do we get to pick and choose what, what God is sovereign over? Does he indeed open and close the womb? Does he know us before the foundation of the world or not? What should young men pursue in, 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 in life? It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, to avoid fornication, that every man have his own wife. It speaks of men not burning. And so they need to... 99% of men, of course, including Christian men, uh, um, have not the gift of singleness. And so the logical answer to that is to pursue marriage early. Uh, and of course, one must also be able to uh, uh, maintain their vessel in sanctification. What should young women aspire to? Marriage and children uh, or careers? Does God provide for his people? Uh, the children of Israel, this is a big one now, but the children of Israel, of course, in Egypt, they were slaves, weren't they? And they were greatly impoverished, but it did not stop them from having many children. They did not try to prevent children 
either. In fact, we know that Pharaoh got incredibly angry because they were multiplying at a great, a great rate, even though they were very poor and, and uh, enslaved. And uh, with, with mouths, God provides means, doesn't he? During my seminary training, I read a book called Evangelical Ethics by a man called J.J. Davis. And by and large, it was an excellent book, and I, and I very much profited from it. Um, but there was one glaring compromise, which I believe, and most reformers do, if you read their writings, believe uh, uh, that there was one glaring compromise uh, they made. Uh, and it was on birth control uh, in terms of ethics. And, of course, I believe it's completely contrary to Holy Scripture. And that, of course, the compromise is a neutral stance on birth control and contraception. Nowhere in the whole of the Holy Scriptures does it even remotely encourage Christians to prevent souls from coming into this world. The opposite really is true. There is, however, allowance within the marriage covenant uh, for absence of sexual intimacy when, in times of, in certain cases, of illness or accidents or special duties, uh, when it, uh, in terms of war, or acts of mercy, as it were. We know that from 1 Corinthians 7 and other passages in the scripture. Um, Birth control really is an act, like I said earlier, of secular rationalism. And uh, the, prophet, the, the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. I knew thee. It is God, of course, who forms in the belly and in the womb the eternal soul, doesn't he? And it is God who knows before he forms, doesn't he? Birth control is taking it, as it were, out of God's control and putting it into our hands, as it were. And of course, we know this can never be true, we know God is sovereign, but we can act this way. It is to say that I don't want God to reign in this area of my life. And, and this, dear friends, is not only true of birth control and bearing children. It's true in many such things in our modern Christianity. I mean, look at evangelism. Look at church attendance. This cherry-picking approach to the scriptures, where we can just pick and choose what we want, as it were, instead of, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, to be faithful to the full counsel of scripture. Well, I'll just cherry-pick the things which are convenient and suitable for my lifestyle, Christianity which I want, instead of being absolutely faithful to the scriptures. And, and, and just think for a moment, if our Christian forefathers would have adopted the same feministic approach and the mindset that we have towards birth control, just think for a moment that we would have no George Woodfield here today. He was the youngest of seven. If they had adopted this approach, well they say, well, Two, three, that's, that's it now. And people are not pushing them too. No, no, that, that's it now. Um, 
We would have no Charles Wesley. He was the 18th child. You would more than likely have no Jonathan Edwards. He was the fifth out of 11, 11 children. And the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And of course we could say, well, this is you know, the sovereignty of God. He could have been the first or the second. But when are we going to stop using that excuse for everything? Uh, they, they knew, didn't they? They knew uh, that, that this was not, that, that it was biblical, that, that, that it was their responsibility and duties to raise up godly seed. The sad irony behind all this is that we live in, uh, in, in a day where we live in not safe days in terms of childbearing, in terms of medical advancements, in terms of food security and financial security and other protections. But we are far, far less willing to obey the scriptures in this respect. And, and, we, and it's, it's remarkable the, the faithfulness which they, they showed in this respect. And I, I remember even a, a man saying to me, a Christian man saying, oh, how, how unloving they must have been. But when I spoke to him about this, he said, oh, how unloving must those parents have been to their children? Uh, to bring them up in such a way, to, 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 not, to not regulate, as it were. And I was abhorred when I heard that from this person. That that's the mindset, that, that they are so unloving that they have all these children. And uh, it is more loving to, to, to regulate children, as, as it were. This, this is prag cultural pragmatism, and it's completely unbiblical. How do we know that the next child prevented in our churches from having life as another Whitfield or Spurgeon. How do we know that? Fertility is not some disease which must be prevented. The Bible doesn't show it as this. The moral law, of course, that we are, we are no longer under, if we're truly in Christ, uh, we are no longer under, we're under Christ, we're under grace, but we, because we're under Christ and because we're under grace, we love to do what God loves. We love and delight in the law after the inward man of Christ. This is true of every Christian. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We love to do the things that God loves. And so this is not a matter of being legalistic. We love to go to God's house together. We love to do the things that God loves. And this is not, this is not similar to the procreation mandate. To, to be faithful and to be fruitful in this respect. This is not to say that we Christians do not go through many pains and suffering at times and, and sorrows in obedience to whatever duty God calls us to, to do and to fulfill. We do, of course we do. There's much to be done in raising godly seed in this dark world of sin that we live in. There were this many wrestlings and battles, of course. But is this not true in everything in the Christian faith and in the Christian life? We are called to deny ourselves, aren't we? To deny ourselves and take up our crosses, as it were, to live for eternal things. And souls are eternal. Uh, and yet we seem to, over cultural pragmatism, we seem to have believed in this feministic ideology to, to give ourselves to the temporary as it were. Does this mean that if we reject 
birth control and adopt what our, our, our Christian, the majority of our Christian forefathers believed in, this biblical approach on childbirth, we'll have less time for ourselves and perhaps less disposable income amongst other things, maybe some more sleepless nights. Yes, this may be the case. It may not be the case. However, what cost can you put upon an eternal soul and the potential to train up that soul in the ways of the Lord? You can't, can you? According to Luke 15.10, there is a joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. One sinner that repented. The joy in the heavens. And the angels of over one sinner that repented. And would we withhold that? Would we even encourage withholding that in our fellowships, as it were? The potential to raise godly seed, as it were, for the Lord. Dearly beloved of the Lord, birth control has not increased and blessed God's people. It's diminished them, hasn't it? And it has not made God's people flourish. To prevent babies from having their life for, the, for temporary things is to prevent souls for eternal things. The serpent, of course, the devil, is the most subtle creature. We, are, we can be so easily, all of us, so easily deceived. He wants to prevent life, to stop it, and to kill it. God is not for the preventation of life. Uh, he is for life, isn't he? Now friends, why are so many Christians neutral on the topic of birth control? Well, surely it's because, like me, they've listened to leading scholars and pastors and such the like, and the many books out there, like I've noted before, and sermons out there, without really examining in any great length this life these life-changing truths for themselves. And uh, one of the main passages, and I'm, let me just say this, that many of these leading reformers and modern reformers in reform circles, they can be very solid on many things. And I've profited... Uh, from many of their writings, but they're not, they're not right on everything. We must get out of this mindset and, and idolizing certain uh, people, leading uh, people within the Calvinistic, uh, uh, Calvinistic circles that this person is right on everything. We just take, take blank and take what they say. But this is not the right approach for Christians. Even the most godliest men who have ever lived have got it wrong in some areas. We must be very careful uh, that we examine these things and apply these things properly. One of the main passages of scriptures which many of the, it doesn't matter what denomination, leaders, pastors, scholars justify the use of birth control is the sin of Adam incident which we read earlier in Genesis 38, 8 through 10, which is a departure from the classical biblical position of the Reformers and the Puritans and the majority of the believers, um, you know, 100 years ago, for 1900 church, 1900 years. This was, the, the, this was their view. And so we've departed from, from that view. Uh, by and large. 
And as we read earlier, Anan was instructed by his father Judah to go in unto his deceased brother's wife and to marry her for the sole purpose of raising up seed for his deceased brother uh, as, and as strange as this custom may seem to us in our, in our you know, modern culture in marrying a deceased brother's wife, the Lord God viewed it with incredible importance here. And, and, it, and he did so, and it was, enacted, it was enacted in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 25.5. And let me just remind you of that text in Deuteronomy 25.5. If brethren dwelt together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her, her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. Well, what was God's concern here? What was God's concern here? What's the principle here? It is the raising up of godly seed, not to a stranger, but the raising up of godly seed for his brother. His brother, we know, was a scoundrel, wasn't he? His brother, Ur, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. The Lord slew him. But this did not, uh, this did not uh, repeal or take away the duty from the brother. Because a, a godly child can still come from that evil man, as we know in the scriptures. It's true, don't we? And so Christians have no business in wasting potential godly seed outside of the womb, nor attempting to prevent such seed from conception. They've got no business in this. And like I said, I was deceived in this for many, many years. This behavior displeases God, and God is just to severely punish those who carry on in such sins unless true repentance follows, really. Uh, but, of course, modern leading pastors and scholars would have you believe that a man was killed by God for disobeying his father uh, and not for, for wasting his seed. And this is simply untrue. It's just false. Uh, and the reformers believed it to be this was not, not true, because according to Genesis 2.24, a father's authority ends when two become one flesh, when, when, when they are married. And so it's completely untrue. Another, another excuse modern theologians and pastors use is that a man was killed by God because he didn't show love for his brother by having a child. I mean, he could at least have one and then stopped. And this again is simply not true. Because according to Deuteronomy 25, such a man was only to, to be publicly humiliated and shamed and not to be put to death. And time does not suffice me to go through the many other excuses, and there are many, but they are all just as unbiblical. Uh, but rather, let me conclude this evening's study with the words of leading reformers, as it were, on this subject. In my estimation, uh, my feeble estimation, they were far less compromising on this subject and far more faithful than our leading, uh, our leading pastors and 
theologians in our day, they were far less compromising and far more faithful. Take, for instance, John Calvin's words on Anand's sin. Besides he, Anand, not only defrauded his brother of the, of the, the right due him, but also preferred a semen to putrefy on the ground rather than beget a son in his brother's name. The voluntary spilling of semen outside of intercourse between a man and a woman is a monstrous thing. Deliberately to withdraw from cotus, which is intercourse, in order that the semen may fall on the ground is doubly monstrous. For this is to extinguish the hope of the race and to kill before he is born the hope for offspring. This impiety is especially condemned now by the Spirit through Moses' mouth that a man, as it were, by a violent abortion, no less cruelly than filthily cast upon the ground the offspring of his brother, torn from the maternal womb. They didn't mix their words a bit, did they? Besides, and he goes on to say, besides, in this way he tried, as far as he was able, to wipe out part of the human race. If any woman ejects a fetus from her womb by drugs, it is reckoned a crime incapable of, of, of expi expiation, death, and deservedly Onan, Onan incurred upon himself the same kind of punishment, death. Uh, Matthew Henry says, this was so much the worse because the Messiah was to descend from Judah, and had he not been guilty of this wickedness, he might have had the honour of being one of his ancestors. Note, these sins that dishonour the body and defile it are very displeasing to God and evidences of vile affections. Martin Luther says, Hernan must have been a malicious and incorrigible scoundrel. This is a most disgraceful sin. It is far more atrocious than incest and adultery. Which we know with Judah. We call it uh, its unchastity, yet a sodomitic, sodomitic sin. For Anand goes into her, that is, he lies with her, and copulates, and when it comes to the point of insemination, spills the semen, lest the woman conceive. And so, once again, time does not allow me to tell you of the countless reformers. I've literally just got dozens of quotes from leading reformers. Uh, not just reformers, Lutherans, Anglicans, Methodists, nonconformists, who all agree, by and large, that that's child preventation and birth control, whatever form it takes. Um, they, 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 they said it was, they mentioned it differently, but it is child preventation, was a heinous and monstrous sin that willfully sets aside God's will and command in Genesis. 128, along with the 1 Timothy 5.14, that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. And of course, Genesis 38.9.10, concerning Anand's sin incident. To follow the nations of the world, its cultural pragmatism, as it were, in this respect, is to despise God's promises in this respect, and deprive oneself of blessing, as we read in Psalm 127 and recently. This sin is an outward breach, of course, as well, of the seventh commandment. It is uncleanness, isn't it? It's adultery. 
It is also to kill the very seed and spring to which the, is the purpose of life. It is usurping one's authority over God, uh, over gods, in giving or withdrawing children. Like I said, 99% of Christian young men do not have the gift of singleness. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, if they cannot contain, that is, in, the, in singleness, which 99% of men, young men, cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And but the problem is, you see, we've lost our vision in this church. We're no longer raising young men to think this way, to think and to be responsible. I mean, I, I wasn't brought up this way. And, you know, it's taken me years, and I, and I still struggle with things. Uh, and we're just not doing it. And we need to, to, to uh, raise our children to think, to lead, to be more responsible in this, in this respect. And, uh, and to, to realize the great blessing of pursuing a virtuous, godly woman. And this is a great, I speak to quite a, various different pastors, and they all tell me the problem they've got in a lot of their churches, is they've got women in their churches that, that are wanting to get married, but there's no godly men to marry them. They're all off, traveling or doing this or that or something else. It's a big problem. Like I said, the average age now, and, and of course, these young men fall into all types of sin. Some of them never come back to the faith. Um, it's a great problem. We've lost our vision. We need to get back to the old paths. If abortion is wrong, and it is, the very aiming and abetting uh, of destroying the initial spring of life is equally abhorrent. This, friends, is not only a Catholic issue, as some may say, and as people have said to me, and I'm being legalistic or Catholic, and I am not. It is a biblical issue. Protestants have greatly compromised historically in the name of Christian liberty. And I am absolutely for Christian liberty. I love the liberty that we have in the law. But I see not the law of love in Christ even remotely justifying such sins. Uh, Judah, as it were, has dealt more treacherously in this respect. Well, we can all, dear friends, be deceived, can't we? We can all be deceived. And we can all let down the Lord. I have, in many areas. I confess, as a father, I've let down the Lord. I've failed the Lord in many, many respects. But let us not continue in such ignorance or, or willing, willingly or willing unfaithfulness to the sanctity of life and the preciousness of it. We seem to have lost that preciousness of life. We are called with a holy calling to be God's peculiar people. To have a pilgrim mindset, aren't we? We're just passing through. We are not to hold to the temporary things of this world too tightly. We are to give ourselves to the eternal things. And souls are eternal, aren't they? We should do things differently from the nations. But cultural pragmatism, you see, says, well, everyone else is doing it. Well, that godly leader is doing it. 
You know, we should do it. And we just blindly follow, as it were. In conclusion, I believe Christians' compromise in using birth control has completely put out of joint many other vital aspects of a Christian living by faith in the Word of God and in the promises of God. If birth control were to be seen as a heinous, monstrous sin, as the majority of Bible-believing Christians thought it was, just imagine, just imagine how this would change for the spiritual good many other aspects of Christians' lives. If we just take this one particular area where feminism has completely blinded so many Christians, if we were just to, to, to hold this one truth in esteem, like our forefathers did, imagine how that would just change, completely change our homes, our churches, if we were just found faithful to this one thing. And we, 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 we for instance, how we view marriage, how we view educa education, who's going to educate our children, the state, or do we? Is that our responsibility? How do we be children? How do we be the Christian home? Uh, and so many other areas. What are the aspirations of our young men, of our young women? There's so many things, aren't there? The list goes on. Of course, contraception and, and birth control is not only about the prevention of children, it also has led to the evils of unmaritable, lustful living, hasn't it? And pornography, and fatherless homes, and so on. And do we really believe that God allowed Margaret Sanger, who pushed really for the pill, and who led to many other evils, do we really believe that the Lord allowed God, uh, Margaret Sanger to produce the pill for Christians to take it? Do we believe that? I, I think not. And so let me just let me just finish with the, the following two passages of scripture. In Malachi 4 6, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And Psalm 128, 1-4. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that work that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labour of thine hands. Be responsible, isn't it? Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Amen.
gracious Father in heaven, 